0: Hello, and welcome to Screaming in the Cloud, with your host, cloud economist Corey Quinn. This weekly show features conversations with people doing
1: interesting work in the world of cloud, thoughtful commentary on the state of the technical world, and ridiculous titles for which Corey refuses to apologize. This is
0: Screaming in the Cloud. This week's episode of Screaming in the Cloud is generously sponsored by DigitalOcean. I would argue that every cloud platform out there biases for different things. Uh, Some bias for having every feature you could possibly want offered as a managed service at varying degrees of maturity. Others bias for, hey, we heard there's some money to be made in the cloud space. Uh, Can you give us some of it? DigitalOcean biases for neither. Uh, To me, they optimize for simplicity. I polled some friends of mine who are avid DigitalOcean supporters about why they're using it for various things, and they all said more or less the same thing. Other offerings have a bunch of shenanigans with root access and IP addresses, DigitalOcean makes it all simple. In 60 seconds, you have root access to a Linux box with an IP. That's a direct quote, uh, albeit with profanity about other providers taken out. DigitalOcean also offers fixed price offerings. Uh, You always know what you're going to wind up paying this month, so you don't wind up having a minor heart issue when the bill comes in. Their services are also understandable without spending three months going to cloud school. You don't have to worry about going very deep to understand what you're doing. It's click button or make an API call, and you receive a cloud resource. They also include very understandable monitoring and alerting. And lastly, they're not exactly what I would call small-time. Over 150,000 businesses are using them today. So go ahead and give them a try. Uh, Visit do.co slash screaming, and they'll give you a free $100 credit to try it out. That's do.co slash screaming. Thanks again to DigitalOcean for their support of Screaming in the Cloud. Hello, and welcome to Screaming in the Cloud. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. I'm joined today by Jerome Pettizzone, uh formerly of Docker. Welcome to the show, Jerome. Hi. <laughs> so you were a Docker for eight years and just recently wound up leaving. I mean, that's long enough to be declared legally dead. Uh, that's effectively an entire career and a half if you go into a non-tech company. What's it like uh, having left a company, after having been there that long?
1: well that that was the first for me um all my previous work experiences had been uh, stretches of one year two years sometime and then i would switch to something else um i feel like i cheated a little bit with docker because i made it last longer just by uh, switching hats uh, often enough uh, from the very early days uh, where it was like uh almost literally six guys in a garage it was not a garage it was like some um, co-working space in soma but uh that's as close as it gets to a garage around here. Uh, And then going through this evolution of uh, becoming this uh, wannabe competitor to Heroku, um, managing a team of amazing SRE folks, and uh, eventually the, the pivot to Docker, and then accidentally becoming Docker's evangelist and developer advocate. And eventually, after a few more years, um, reducing the number of talks I was doing at conferences to focus on workshops and tutorials and, and that kind of thing. And, and at some point, being like, okay, I, I need to take a break from all this. And um, yeah, and that, that took almost eight years. Yeah, <laughs>
0: And during that time, Docker itself went through a fantastic Roller coaster ride. It went from this tiny startup, more or less in a garage, that had this great software idea that they wound up bringing a lot of attention to, changed the way that people tended to think about their infrastructure, got very large, and then effectively wound up not having a stated revenue model that could carry them and continue to sustain that growth. So it went from tiny startup to enterprise company to now it feels like the relevance of Docker as a company in the marketplace just eight years later is somewhat minimal. The the focus has moved on either to orchestration or to serverless technologies, things that are powered by Docker technology, but the conversation isn't around the container level anymore. Is that an accurate assessment?
1: um it's it's one side of uh of the of the things um i think that Docker Inc., the people at Docker Inc. Uh, are, or at least were uh, acutely aware that it's it's not just around the container runtime. Um, maybe it was in uh, 2014, 2015, but very quickly, the conversation, as you said, moved uh, towards higher levels of the stack. Uh, how do I orchestrate my containers? How do I manage the lifecycle of my container images, which means how do I build them? Where do I put these images? Then how can I be sure that this image doesn't contain some three years old vulnerability that uh, was let through because we are building stuff from some antique package repository, um, et, cetera, et cetera. How do I find out if I if, if my hosts are running that kind of image? So I, I think Docker moved into that space um, pretty quickly, maybe maybe faster than than we credit uh, them um, with uh, the vulnerability scanning things with. Docker Enterprise Edition, et cetera. Perhaps one thing that uh, that, that confuses or um, annoys people is that there is a gap between the Enterprise Edition offering, which is pretty solid. I I haven't used it a lot because um, I tend to have skin reactions when I use Enterprise software. Um, But the, the few times I did demos with it, I was positively impressed. And, and then the open source side, and it looks like, okay, we nailed down the container engine, that's great, it's open source and everybody can use it and it's everywhere. Um, and then uh, all the, the evolutions happened more on the enterprise software side, which also um, maps to the evolution of the company from this kind of uh, open source hero or champion uh, to being more on the enterprise side and and seemingly less friendly to open source. And I emphasize on seemingly because, um, yeah, of course, there used to be a time where 90% of the engineering people at Docker were working on open source because there was only open source in, in, in Docker products um now it's a very different split uh, maybe it's 50 50 maybe it's even more tilted to the enterprise side i i don't know exactly um, so that's that's a big difference but there are still people working on on, on open source software and docker and i think that will be for for a long time um, and um, Perhaps some people are disappointed, thinking, "Oh, Docker was so big that by now they should be worth like 11 trillion dollars or whatever." Um, but I think Docker is uh, kind of comfortably making uh, a spot in the enterprise software ecosystem now, uh, and that's the that's the best that can be that, that that's can do now.
0: It feels a bit challenging to look back to 2010 when this all started as .cloud once upon a time and see, even with perfect foreknowledge, how the world would evolve to have, I guess, changed Docker's um, growth trajectory in the context of the reason that Docker was as adopted as widely as it was is because The core technology was open source. It was given away to people at no charge to them. The challenge has always been for companies, and this predates Docker a very very long time, how do you build a viable and sustainable business full of very expensive, very talented people and have a revenue model that can drive that over the long term? Eventually, venture capitalists want to see some form of return on their investment. Sure.
1: First and foremost, I, I don't consider myself as a good business person uh, in the sense that I, I don't know how to make money out of things. Uh, if I did, my present would be very different because um, in, in 2005, when I started my own company in France, we were the, the first folks to um, have a, uh, a virtual machine hosting offering. Um, we were selling vms for hosting and that was really like how we wanted to differentiate ourselves so that was a few years before ec2 and yet um <laughs> that didn't turn into a successful business it, the company still exists and it still pays for a handful of very talented folks to do amazing things but it in, interestingly um, neither of them is is uh, jeff bezos or anywhere close um so yeah disclaimer i'm not really a, a business person so what i'm going to say is, is probably a bit simplistic but I feel like uh, this challenge that you pointed out, like how do we make money out of open source, especially when there are VCs being like, "Hey, well, where is the money now?" Um, I think that this is this has been addressed by folks like Red Hat, um, and I I feel like uh, <laughs> even if that might be uh, making cringe a few of my former co-workers, I feel like Red Hat and Docker's business model are actually pretty close in the sense that like hey there is this thing it's free you can get fedora you can get centos without giving a dollar uh, to to red hat and yet uh red hat gets a lot of money uh from rel and from services and from a, a lot of uh, of things to to make open source awesome in the eye of the enterprise buyer and I'm aware that it is a very simple view of things, uh, but that's that's how I understand it. And from what I could tell from my from my last uh, quarters at Docker, um, my coworkers were on track to 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 achieve similar things. That's that uh, yeah.
0: The last time I checked, Docker had a few hundred employees and had a one point three billion dollar valuation. Uh, as you mentioned, starting it off as six people sitting in a garage. What was it like uh, as the company transformed and effectively hit hypergrowth?
1: Well, first of all, the the early days were pretty much exactly like the, the, as you can imagine. So it was like six of us uh, sitting around a big table in a co-working space. Um, six white dudes, and uh, not a single one of diversity on site. It took us some time to realize that maybe this might be a problem, and we should address it. But eventually, we uh, we did, and uh, and I I'm glad that that we did. Um, the transformation happened kind of in a, in a very subtle way, of course, because you don't go from six to five hundred or six hundred like overnight. Um, it's I don't really know if I could put like specific points in the timeline um, because this is all a kind of a, a continuous thing. Even switching CEOs, like sometimes you could think, "Oh my God, they're switching CEOs! It's going to be a huge, deep changes there." Are. No, because the the, the CEOs uh, that that we had over time, I I, I think were um, smart enough to not try to suddenly be like all right, now we're going to change the culture overnight because I'm the new CEO. No, um, I remember when Ben Golub uh, came on board, um, he did a lot of um, of kind of round table meetings with us to assess what was the culture like, what do we want to reinforce, what do we want to change? Uh, and when uh, Steve Singh came around, I, I hear that similar things happened. I was not part of that uh, because I was not physically in the office at, at, at that time. Uh, and my my role in the company also evolved. Um, so it's really hard to, uh, to put the finger on, on the, the specific point in time where when things changed. But of course, yeah. Um, at some point we went from garage startup um to uh to, to, to enterprise software. And of course, a lot of people feel Either's unhappy or frustrated about that because it's not it's a different atmosphere it's like oh my god we have all these people in in suits well they're doing i think they're sales right yeah and they bringing that thing that we call revenue huh interesting that's new um so a lot of change happened but they were pretty gradual and yeah, I don't deny that some people probably woke up overnight and were like, "Oh crap, that's not the, the company I, I used to to work for and, and love and whatever." But, but I think that these changes were necessary. Um, just like I was, I was joking about like bringing in revenue, having sales, etc. But yeah, that's that's what you need to do if you if you want to turn into a profitable and sustainable company.
0: One of my historical criticisms of Docker was always that. There was a contingent of people, and you were never in this group, incidentally. You were always very even-handed. But there were folks, both internal and external in the community, who thought that regardless of what your problem was, the answer was going to be Docker as a containers. It turned into jokes where someone tried to give a lightning talk once, which was just five minutes of saying Docker, Docker, Docker the entire time. (laughs) That may or may not have been me. And... The challenge there was that it felt like it was this panacea that could be poured onto any problem that you had. Whatever it was, Docker was going to save you from yourself, your architecture, your poor decisions. And while Docker did unwrap and unleash a number of different opportunities in infrastructure, it doesn't solve for everything. How did you feel going through that process as you see some of the hype start to run away with itself?
1: I, th- I think um, at first I didn't notice it, and uh, I feel bad about it because, um, as you pointed out, like there are lots of people who are extremely enthusiastic about Docker and be like, yeah, it's going to be the best thing since sliced bread, and um, some people inside the company, some people outside, and at first I, I think I mistook that for the. Californian optimism where everything is awesome and when something is not awesome that it's horrible um, it took me a while to realize that uh, yeah there are some people who are overdoing it either deliberately or, or just because they are really convinced that Docker is going to save the world and then um, at, at that point it's it, it's a very delicate thing to do to say Okay, well, Docker is great for many things, but not all of them. And I know that you're super excited about it, but um, let's see how we can tone down things a little bit because it's not helping the cause in the long run. Um, if we try to have people um, run replicated um, MongoDB shards as the first thing they do on Docker, it's probably not going to end well, and and nobody wants that. We that I think. Um, at some point, the answer I, I built for that is, all right. I'm, I'm not going to debate if you can do everything with Docker or not because you can. You can probably do everything. I mean, if you're MacGyver, you can probably build a the um, cire or whatever with just a screwdriver and a little bit of duct tape. Um, so, sure. Uh, but my my point was more to say, okay, let's start with the easy things. And so stateless applications, something like a uh, new that low impact. Um, use use Docker as a, as a kind of glorified package manager because that's going to be easy and it's going to help you because building packages is hard and boring. And then, little by little, uh, let Docker work, work its way towards like CI. Maybe has some CD, but for um, for staging or QA or something like that. And little by little, you can assess what's going on, see what the problems are. Um, but don't try to go too fast. And I I think internally it has been a very difficult balancing act uh, between pushing forward a moderate message uh, because we don't want people to 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 get burned uh and also you you have to um to have some enthusiasm and to be convincing and say yeah this is awesome let's let's do it etc um so just because that's the way it works like that's the that's the way it works well first for me as as a european looking at the californian startup culture as i was joking about like everything is awesome and if something is not awesome it, it's probably like because it's really horrible um so you have to kind of uh be super enthusiastic with your customer, with your users, with your investors, with everyone. Um, and so if, if you're not, then people are going to think, oh, they, I, it's weird. It, that that person didn't say awesome five times in the last two minutes, so something must be wrong. Uh, so so that was the difficult uh, balancing act. It was um, having a positive message and also being able to tone down when, when things uh, were kind of overinflating the, the abilities of Docker, et
0: cetera. One of the early talks that I gave in my speaking career was sort of a breakout for me, where I got up and gave a talk about things that I really didn't understand how Docker could address. And what I expected was that people who heard this talk would excoriate me. They would tear me to pieces and say, haha ha, idiot, you don't understand how this works. Here's the answer. And instead, that talk got picked up at roughly a dozen conferences, and people really started to care about it. And I was blown away by that. I just assumed that I was the dumb one, that I didn't understand, oh, networking in Docker isn't an issue. You just do this, this, and this. And in time, that talk did have a shelf life, where now almost everything I pointed out is no longer an active concern. There's been enough development in the space that surprise things that were problems three years ago aren't anymore but at the time that was eye-opening for me it was transformative to think that wait if i don't know how this works and other people don't know how this works are we just all kidding ourselves
1: yeah and so that that talk for the viewers is, I think you're referring to Heresy in the Church of Docker, and it's it's an amazing talk. Um, I've seen it at least two times, and uh, I've enthusiastically, um, how, do, how can I say that, um, there was a committee in the conference wondering uh, if that, Talk would just be like rambling and renting and trash talk or inappropriate or whatever, and I say no, no, no. I've seen that talk; it's great. You want it at that conference, um, so um, I think there are first ab- about that talk. As you pointed out, there are many things um, that you that that you noticed. Oh, this this didn't work as expected, and Docker seems seems weird in in that regard. And how do we do this? And you are not the only one, obviously, uh, and. I th- I think um, it reminds me a little bit of that amazing talk about the security of systems um, called something like uh, where well, like big big bags of big bags of water or something like that like unsafe at any speed. Explaining that um, the computer security is just starting to to get somewhere. It makes a parallel with car security, where in the pa- in the past car security was just horrible and you, you you would die in car accidents uh, all the time because the car was unsafe at any speed and then we added airbags and car frames that kind of uh, uh, deform better under shock etc
0: etc we started catering to the weak yeah it happened <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah except for the fact that the weak is like one hundred percent of the population, <laughs> and I think for 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 well for computer security, we're kind of getting there as well. Uh, so the the discourse is shifting between oh yeah, of course. You, you, what do you mean? You didn't have a sixteen characters passwords using uppercase, lowercase, symbols, emojis, and numbers, and you haven't changed it every month as we ask. Ah, no wonder you got hacked. Uh, so the the discourse is evolving towards something that is actually possible for. Normal human beings. And I think for, for Docker, it was the same thing. Um, I'm glad that the evolution went faster uh, because uh, at, at first, Docker uh, was super exciting and, and useful, but required a lot of. Uh, um, of extra little knowledge, like how do I get my networking to 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 work properly? Uh, what if I need like a wire speed performance on the network, etc. Because I'm doing video streaming or gaming or VIP or whatever. Um, and little by little, we addressed these things. Um, and in in I would say kind of multiple tiers. Like the first tier is like, hey, this is a little recipe that I'm going to share with you. It's a hack. Um, it's going to be weird, and maybe you're not going to like it. But but, but it will do the trick, and it will let you kind of uh, ram down that roadblock and continue on your fantastic Docker journey, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then little by little, um, we made these hacks less hackish. Um, we we clean these things and made them part of the product, um, and. Eventually, the, the user experience and documentation, et cetera, follows along. And, uh, and at some point, you, you reach the point where if you want to do that network thing, then it's documented and it's there and there are uh, blog posts and explanations and, and all you need uh, so that it, it works well. Um, so your your talk pointed out a lot of these early hacks and early uh, I want to say misconceptions, but maybe mis- mis-explanations would be better, uh, and and that was great because personally, when I watched that talk, uh, it made me realize uh, there really is where we needed to improve. Uh, because it's really hard when you're when you're using Docker since uh, like half a decade and you're trying to have a an objective look on it to to figure out okay what are the pain points. It's it's hard. Um, so having um, smart people do that thing and then point out the, the, the issues they had was extremely helpful, at least for me.
0: It's always a challenge, too. When you have an emerging technology come out and companies that can iterate rapidly or are just starting out and able to dive directly in to whatever that technology is, that's exciting and it's fun and you fail fast and you learn things and technology progresses quickly. The other side of it is the large enterprise companies that uh, some would call stodgy, others would say they have actual revenue and agreements to to contend with, they have compliance concerns, they have legacy software that does not support being deployed in completely new ways without some serious rework. And... I feel like with any exciting technology, there's always going to be some form of long tail as companies start progressing to a point where, for example, containerization becomes viable. But in less than a decade, what fascinates me is that Docker has more or less gone from this thing that hobbyists and experiment types type to, tend to use to something that is relatively mainstream to now it's progressed almost to the point of being part of the plumbing. It's not something that needs to be actively thought about in quite the same way. Today, it feels like that decision point has been moved up the stack to your selection of orchestration tooling. And down the road, potentially, even that's going to wind up being eaten as things slowly move up the stack and things that used to be complex now become commonplace and just work. How do you see... The orchestration battle playing out uh, relatively recently, I believe Docker, it, uh, well as a company, wound up supporting Kubernetes as a first-class citizen for a lot of their orchestration needs.
1: Sure, um, I I think just as you pointed out that things are going to move up the stack. So first of all, the yeah the engine is not really relevant anymore. Yeah, okay, you're running containers. You're probably running them on Docker. You can also use other container runtimes, but for now. Um, most folks run that on docker but just because it, it works and it's kind of uh not relevant anymore i i think uh that in the future um things will continue to shift the same way that things shifted for instance for uh for hypervisors even in the open source side on on linux it used to be like oh are you running xen or are you running kvm um, both had their pros and cons and Nowadays, I don't even know which one uh, EC2 is running. I, I I I used to know, but uh, I think they changed maybe multiple times. Um, so I have no idea, and and honestly, I don't care. I, I used to care because it was useful to know the um, the intricacies and details and be like, oh, this is using Zen, therefore I know that the spin lock implementation is going to behave in really interesting ways and i need to know that um but eventually that becomes irrelevant and part of the plumbing um and i think that uh each time that we make um, a significant improvement in, 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 in a given space uh we just push the envelope one step further i'm going to give one an example that that probably was the one that opened my eyes on this uh if we think about this uh highly available uh, distributed key value stores uh that were and still are very popular when you need to to store important stuff so i'm talking about like zookeeper etcd, cd console these kind of things um it used to be the case that you you had like mostly zookeeper and it worked but it was kind of um difficult to deploy and operate and maintain and and it was a, uh, uh, it, it when you had zookeeper in the equation it's like oh great now we have the jvm and and we have this extra thing to maintain but we need that because we need that highly available key value store and then i remember when etcd came along um that was suddenly um a kind of i mean to me, like the, the SRE person speaking, <laughs> it was kind of a revolution because setting up PCD was super easy. And of course we knew it was it was new, so there would be some rough edges, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right. But in the long run, we could see that it, this would be amazing because operations that used to be um, frightening, like decommissioning a node to put another one instead, etc. All these things would be completely normal, routine op- operations on ECD. And then some people started thinking, "Hey, what if I, what if I just put an ECD uh, server on every single of my EC2 instances? That way, I can just connect to localhost everywhere, and that's that's easier. I don't have a separate cluster to maintain." And at first, it seems like a good idea, and and then very quickly, you're like, oh no, that doesn't work because there is this raft protocol that I need to learn about, and if I have thousands of writers there, it doesn't exactly work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what is really interesting is that this idea of let's put one etcd server on every machine, we would never have thought about that with Zookeeper because that it would just have been completely unfathomable. Well, I know probably a, a few people tried or maybe even did it but um for most of us it was just unthinkable so each cd uh, kind of pushed the envelope by by moving us to the next stage which is okay now we're going to run that stuff everywhere it's going to be pervasive and 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 we're already thinking about uh new use cases for, for for that thing and i think that um this this is a this is progress in our space. We have something that used to be kind of uh, experimental and special, and and then at some point it becomes mainstream. And when it becomes mainstream, then a lot of people uh, who did not uh, want to touch the technology with a 10-foot pole suddenly... Can embrace that technology, and these people have new ideas uh, that uh, the older people didn't didn't have, and and that that's how we we make progress. So I think that we are going to see similar things on the orchestration space. Uh, now that um, we we have Kubernetes, that is a really solid and and complete and and awesome offering. Uh, we still have stuff like Mesos and Swarm on on the side when you have some some specific needs. So I think that. Um, at some point um, there are applications use cases that, that are going to to appear just because something like cube becomes pervasive just because we can you can rely on the fact that you're going to have cube everywhere so instead of being like huh oh, maybe we could do this but we need the customers to have kubernetes and that's too small of a, of a market to to really think about it instead you can be like okay to to use our stuff, people need Kubernetes, but almost everyone does. So so, so let's do it. Um, Docker did that in some ways. Uh, Cube is going to do that. I don't know what's going to be next because I, I don't really define myself as a visionary person, believe it or not. Uh, but I think that's, that this is what's going to happen.
0: As things like Docker, Kubernetes, etc. have become pervasive, it feels like we are on the cusp of being able to have an application and a configuration written in YAML or some other language, Uh, please don't email me talking about uh, how JSON is better. I promise I don't care. It, you were approaching a point very rapidly where that's all it takes to deploy an application or a workload to any cloud provider. So in near real time, you'll be able to arbitrage between different providers for cost reasons or for different service offerings in different locations. Do you think that we're heading to a point where who our cloud provider is stops mattering
1: um i th- I think uh, that it will stop mattering for some applications but but still matter for others. Uh, what I mean by that is that um if if we if we look to the past uh, in theory, if you put everything like your whole application in puppet or terraform or your ansible or config management all the way. In theory, your choice of infrastructure shouldn't matter too much because it's abstracted by the wonderfulness of config management, right? 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 Uh, the reality is a little be bit different because um, each infrastructure has its own little different things. And uh, even if Docker helps to kind of play in that field, um, there are still a few differences like for instance uh oh you're using um maybe dynamo or sqs or something like that what's the equivalent if you move away from aws um and conversely uh google cloud platform uh, came around with gke which um at least uh, until the end of 2017 was by far the best managed host uh, offering of, of kubernetes um that May change, of course. Now that both AWS and Azure are have their own offering, and and obviously uh, try as hard as they can to catch up. So I think that for for some applications, um, it will be really easy to migrate, like e- easier than ever. Um, not just because of Docker; it's more like Docker moved the 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 slider a little bit. Uh, so now that they are more applications that are easier to migrate, um, but obviously, uh, if you have a big complex application relying on, uh, on on APIs and services specific to a given provider, or just because the sheer size of, of your data uh, means that moving around is, uh, uh, let's say, complicated, <laughs> um, then Docker or not Docker, Cube or not Cube, that that's not going to change anything. Um, so. Yeah, TLDR, that it will help a little bit, of course, uh, but it it won't be like the suddenly the the magic wind that makes um, uh, hybrid deployments and and cloud portability a thing overnight.
0: To that end, all of the major cloud providers have at least announced, if not rolled out, a managed Kubernetes service. Uh, have you had the chance to explore those in any significant depth? Do you have any early opinions as far as which ones are wonderful, which ones are terrible? Or are you <laughs> holding out to see more than has already been delivered?
1: So I have a uh, stale secondhand opinions. <laughs>
0: Uh
1: in, in the summer of 2017, um, I spent a lot of time with uh, folks who had decided to go to production on, on Kubernetes. And um, the back then, uh the, the the big takeaway was that gke was really fantastic and everything else sucked that was before um aws and Azure rolled out uh, their their offering um so i would expect that things are going to uh to, to evolve um so and, and here honestly um <laughs> i don't have any provision or, or anything like that um because i it's really hard to get an idea of uh, not only the resources but the roadmaps and also the priorities, like internally of, of these different uh, people. So I think in that case, choice is good. Uh, that means that a lot of people who wanted to have managed uh, Kubernetes clusters uh, don't necessarily have to move to GKE. They they can also explore. Um, I think it's EKS and AKS on the Azure tenure. Yeah. So then. I I don't have a, a particular preference myself, especially given the fact that now I'm 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 not on call anymore since a few years now. But I I don't even have a vested interest either way. Um, the the only things that uh, the the only uptime that I care about now is uh, the uptime of my blog, which is basically static pages. So I don't really need a cube cluster for that. Um, yeah. So sorry, I, I don't have a a nice, quotable answer on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no trouble at all. It's it's one of those areas that's still very actively undergoing development, and we're still yes, seeing absolutely. Yeah. different companies coming out with these in new and interesting ways. It's interesting watching this continue to evolve. Do you think that Kubernetes is going to follow in the path of Docker in that people care for a while tremendously about what orchestration system they're using, but then get to a point where that's abstracted away to the point where once again, it's part of the plumbing and no one explicitly cares.
1: It's, it's possible. Um, I've, I, I've witnessed already a few conversations about, Hey, should we use uh on it or helm or something else to define our applications? Um, so for, for some folks, it, it looks like, uh, cube is a done deal, uh, but then suddenly there are lots of new things to figure out, and I think that that doesn't make Cube irrelevant. Far from it, because even if we if we look back, uh, okay, now Docker is not really the question anymore. But uh, when when we work on our applications locally, um, generally there will be either Docker for Mac or Docker for Windows or something like that. So we still use docker like really closely on a on a day to day basis. Um, so with Cube, I feel it's it's kind of the same thing. We're like, okay, this we we can agree and accept that we're going to have a Cube cluster. Now, how are we going to define our applications and how are we going to uh, move images around? And as I said earlier, like find vulnerabilities, etc. Um, now we can work even harder on on these problems, on these challenges.
0: So last question that I'll beat you up with, play futurologist for a minute. What do you think the road ahead is going to look like as far as infrastructure automation, as far as deploying software from a developer laptop into a cloud environment that winds up being globally spanning? Do you think that we're still going to see incremental improvements, or do you think there's another Docker-like paradigm shift waiting in the wings?
1: that's an excellent question uh first uh, as a disclaimer usually my my provisions and forecasts turn out to to fail miserably um so i don't know if there will be a, a big shift um there are many things kind of waiting in the wings as like you said like uh, like serverless and iot and blockchain etc uh, so it's kind of interesting to see all right what kind of potential do we have uh here uh, and a, a few things that well first of all the, the thing to me that is really exciting in the road ahead with containers generally speaking and and here i'm, I'm putting everybody under that big umbrella docker cube um everything and um but the really exciting thing is that There are lots of uh, best practices in in cloud environments, like you should have golden images and you should do uh, canary deployments and blue green and this and that and and feature switches and whatever. And I feel like um, containers give us uh, an easier way to do that. For instance, immutable infrastructure used to be something that maybe Netflix was doing and maybe AWS themselves um, and and, and a few other folks. But um, when you really kind of dive in the trenches and, and ask people... Uh, that that's that stuff is hard, and often it can be um, it it steps on the brakes of innovation, <laughs> because now each time you want to roll out a single line of code, it has to be baked into uh, an AMI, and um, then that that servers have to be replaced, etc. etc. And that takes a while, and and the tooling for that is huge and complex. So with containers, that tooling becomes easier faster to use etc etc uh, so we can have immutable stuff uh with uh, uh 10 seconds between I, I put my line of code and, and then i get images built and pushed and, and on my servers um so that's that's exciting um there are certainly other things that are going to make these uh, these workflows easier. there are certainly new workflows that are going to appear uh, new stuff that will that will seem even better than than the feature switch canary blue green deploys that we do today um, but i I don't know for sure what they are uh, otherwise I would probably be like gathering a team to to create a startup around that um, so no I, I I don't really have a, a good forecast on that unfortunately.
0: Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on infrastructure. Uh, One last thing before we call it an episode. You've been very active lately, and maybe for a while, and I just started noticing it more recently, on Twitter, talking about a variety of different topics that aren't directly tied to technology. Um, English as a uh, not primary language. Uh, You've talked about mental health. You've talked about diversity. You're Basically, using a short form communications method to have very in depth uh, almost essays in a way that flows naturally uh, I'll throw a link a link to your Twitter feed in the show notes but what's sparked your use of Twitter as a platform to have that type of conversation
1: um that's an excellent question i I think they are the main reason is audience uh because Thanks to my uh, involvement in, in the container story, I attracted a, a following on Twitter. And so that's a, that's a platform. And one of the things that I decided to do starting, I think, in 2015 was to use that platform uh, for... That, that sounds really cheesy, but for social good in a way. Uh, because if there are thousands and thousands of people willing to listen to me talk about container stuff, I might as well try to move the needle even even just a tiny little bit uh, by telling about these other things that are not container related at all but that matter to me and and where i feel like we we don't um, talk about them enough um, in particular for uh, diversity and, and mental health speaking about french and english is more a kind of byproduct where um a few times i i I had like thoughts and conversations with others, um, kind of marveling at the differences between French and English and how concepts map between the languages. And so I decided to kind of throw that in in the mix as well. Now, um, another thing I noticed um, about Twitter a while ago uh, is that it it's uh it feels at least to me like a good way to consume that kind of short kind of information something that is longer than a tweet uh, maybe not long enough for a full blog post uh, and I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only person to sometimes kind of scroll endlessly through my Twitter timeline like a zombie and I think other people do that as well and, and I I I noticed that if there is a link to a blog post um, Perhaps I will read it, but most likely I will um, star it um, and and then perhaps later I will read it. Perhaps if it's a thread, it's short enough so that I can invest a little bit of time into that. And and if if I'm bored, I can just scroll past it and it's quick. I I don't need to... leave my timeline i don't need to open um a web browser which on on the phone is not really a good experience uh because 90 percent of the screen surface is ads and other stuff um so i felt like twitter was a good outlet for that uh twitter has many flaws (laughs) um and i don't even want to start talking about them but i i feel like it was a, a good outlet for for this short um Yeah, Michael Brooks, kind of, yeah.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for appearing on an episode of Screaming in the Cloud, Jerome. Uh, My name is Corey Quinn. This has been Screaming in the Cloud. This has been this week's episode of Screaming in the Cloud. You can also find more Corey at screaminginthecloud.com or wherever fine snark is sold.